Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Uh, This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, generosity, Uh, so gratitude and generosity, our Thanksgiving week. And... uh, Kind of, we've been in the book of Revelation. We're going to take a book, a break from the book of Revelation. Uh, this week we'll be in James chapter one. Um, and then as we go through this more and more, we're going to then get into our holiday season. We'll be looking at uh, some things that will, will kind of take us into the Christmas season. And uh, one of the other things that Micah shared it briefly, but we're partnering with Cornerstone Church up in Incline, and they did a Christmas Day video, the filming for that on Friday. Um, So myself and Tony Slavin, who's the pastor up there, we have a couple of devotional messages, and then there's a bunch of music, and so we'll have a Christmas Day service, uh, that's a Sunday, we'll have a Christmas Day service that'll be done on YouTube. And then the other thing uh, is that... Cornerstone and Hilltop are teaching the same passages during this time period, and I'm going to go up and teach at uh, Cornerstone one weekend. Tony's going to come down here and teach down here, so you kind of get some uh, exposure to who who Tony is and what they're about. Um, I got to spend some time with Tony last year at a conference and uh, just really, really respect him. 20 plus years of ministry experience, really good teacher. Um, We're excited to partner with them in this way. We've partnered with Cornerstone in the past on a couple other things. One was the... uh, uh, magic show up at the lake. And so we're, we're excited to get to do this with them. So Thanksgiving, as we look at this, um, George Washington, Thanksgiving Proclamation, October 3rd, 1787. George Washington said this. He said, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and to humbly implore his protection and favor. And whereas the hou- both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them the opportunity to peaceably establish a form of government for their safety and happiness." to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several relative duties properly and punctually, to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed, to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, and to bless them with good government, peace, and concord." Uh, He notes something that is biblically true. He says that at the beginning of this, that we should be grateful to God for the benefits that he gives us. And then he goes on to say that based upon the benefits that God has given us, we should then bless others. This is a, a theme throughout scripture. It's part of the fabric of our nation. That as we look to God and we see what God has done for us, uh, we then out of gratefulness for who he is and what he's done, we are then generous with others. We bless others. And so as we go through the book of James this morning, or at least a part of the book of James this morning, um, I want you to see this pattern that God has done things for us. And you kind of see as we go through this, there's, there's things that God has, has done, his character and what he's done. 
how it's transformed us internally, and then based upon that internal transformation, what we should do for others. And so we have this generosity from God that we're grateful for, and in turn, we find ourselves able to be generous to others. And so as we go through this message, I want you to see those things. I want you to see that God has done certain things for us, that his character is good, that we have been transformed from the inside out, and because of that transformation, we should live in a generous way with others. The other thing that I want to encourage you to do when we get to the portion of being generous with others is if, if a specific name comes to mind, a person or an organization, I want you to take a mental note of that or jot it down, and then as we go through this holiday season, let's consider, based upon what God has done for us, how we could be a blessing to other people in our lives. That's sort of the goal of this message this morning. Let me pray, and we'll take a closer look at the passage. Father, this morning we are grateful for who you are and what you've done. We thank you for your son Jesus, the God incarnate, the God in human flesh, uh, your son Jesus. He lived a sinless life. He then gave his life for sin on the cross on our behalf. He was killed and put to death because of our sin. And he took all of the blame, all of the consequence that should have fallen on us, he took it on himself so that we could be saved from those consequences. And then by your power, Father, you rose your son Jesus from the dead. He is risen and victorious over sin and death. And that makes us risen and victorious over sin and death. He has given us that. More than that, you have given us a, a new heart and a new way of living. You've given us your mind and we can think as you think. You've given us your word and we can turn to you for truth and wisdom. You've given us your spirit and he empowers us to live a different way. Uh, your blessings are many. And so, Father, I pray that we would live in your blessings. That as we have this time of thought and contemplation, that it would lead to action. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of James, chapter 1, we'll look at verses 16 through 27. And uh, this book of James is often seen as a, as a book of action. People will say, James, he's a, he's a man of action. Paul's a theologian, but James, he's a man of action. And to a degree, this is true, but as you go through this, you also see that James was a man of thought and contemplation. Um, his message essentially here is that when our mind's eye is fixed on who God is and what God has done, this will produce gratitude in us. It will produce a certainty of faith and morality for us and a lifestyle that then embodies God's generous benevolence to others. In the chapter that we're looking at, these verses we'll get into here in a minute, leading into this, James talks about trials and temptations. His basic message is that God will never tempt you to do something evil. There is an evil one who would, but God will never tempt you to do something evil. He will bring and allow trials to test and grow your faith. James, like Paul in Romans chapter 5, is saying that we should be thankful for everything God gives us, including trials, because God knows exactly what we need to go through in order to experience conformity to his character. So when trials of various forms, when those enter into our lives, uh, we then lean into God's strengths in, in new ways for peace and grace. We also have a determination to grow. We see that even difficulty is a gift. Difficult situations and even difficult people are a gift. Now I say this with sarcasm, okay, so hear me correctly. We can say to the government, what a gift. 
you can say or think about that pain in the neck coworker that you have. What a gift. You can approach the annoying behaviors of your children, the way they always interrupt an adult conversation. What a gift. My wife gets to wake up every morning to my weird little idiosyncrasies and say, what a gift. So right now, you could look at your spouse and you could say, all those little things you do that drive me up the wall, what a gift. I obviously say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, uh, we know that our nation is not perfect. Our co-workers are human. Our children are not fully mature. Our spouses do things that drive us crazy. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we do those things as well. And so, coming into these verses, James reminds us that challenges are a gift. Um, and what those challenges do is they reveal and build character. They show us where our character is currently at. And then they show us areas that we need to grow and build our character to be matched to Jesus's. And then he goes on to the verses that we focus on this morning. I understand that in a crowd like this, there are some of you who have, many of you who have placed faith in Jesus. And so this is really a message to Christians. As you look at this, he says, and I encourage you to follow along on our handout. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. He's addressing the family of God in these verses. He's saying to those of you who have trusted that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, that he was raised from the dead, and that he gave you new life, uh, this is a message for you you as followers of Jesus, don't be deceived. That means to be led astray. Kind of built into that is the idea that if you're not in Christ, you are being led astray. If you haven't trusted Jesus uh, to deal with the consequences of your sin, if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead to give you new life, you are being deceived. You're being led astray. And if you're here this morning and you haven't placed faith in Jesus, I want you to no longer be deceived. I don't want you to be led astray anymore. I want you to hear that God has life for you. I want you to hear that God has blessing for you. I want you to hear that he has a new way of life for you. I want you to see his character, his goodness. And, and I want you to long for his goodness. You probably already do, you just don't know it. And so look at this with me. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be led astray, my dear brothers and sisters, the family of God. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He says everything that is useful and beneficial, everything that is dependable and complete, every gift that you would possibly need for life and wholeness, he's given it to you. It comes down from on high. It descended to us, primarily in the person of Jesus, right? He descended to us. He walked among us, and he has blessed us. It says that that comes from the Father of lights, the origin of light. He's saying he is the creator. Without God, there is no truth. There is no light. There is no life. He is its origin, its source. And he says he doesn't change like shifting shadows. God is trustworthy and true. Everything about him is right and good. Everything that he says to you is trustworthy and true. And it goes on here in verse 18. It says, by his choice, that's his intended plan, there's no accidents in what God does. You might think that your week has been a week of accidents. It wasn't. You might think that the season of life that you're in feels like a season of accidents. It's not. God has purpose and intent for all of it. It says, by his own choice, his intended plan, he gave us birth. He brought us into being by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
there's this message that we have been brought to life and it's no accident. God has made us his children and that happened by the word of truth and that, that word of truth is the, the logos of truth. John declares in his gospel that Jesus is the logos. He is the message or reckoning of reality that we're all looking for. We're all trying to figure out what reality is, what's true, what's right, what's best. How do I live a good life? What makes my life meaningful? Where do I go when I die? All these things, God is saying that they're wrapped up in the person of Jesus. The reckoning of reality, the truth of how things actually are is in the person of Jesus. And it's through the person of Jesus that God has made us first fruits, the beginning of something new out of all of his creatures. This is a really interesting message. He's saying that you and I, as we are in Christ and saved from our sin and regenerate and made new and given life and made spiritually alive and the spirit of God indwells our spirit and Jesus actually is inside of us. He's saying that we're something that has never existed in all of creation previous to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It never happened before. We are the beginning of it. We are those new creations, something that had never been in existence previous to what Christ did for us. So you look at what the Father has done. What has he done? He has made us the beginning of something new. We should be grateful for that. He's done this amazing work for us through his son Jesus. We should be grateful for that. I have a friend who he is just one of the most generous people I've ever met. I go, I hang out with him, and uh, he'll, he'll never let me pay for lunch. Uh, he always ends up sending me home with a gift. Uh, he Then will often, there'll be things that show up at our house that are, are from him. He is a very generous person. And I, after hanging out with him, I'm always encouraged that that, gen, that giving and generosity, is, is it's a blessing. And maybe one that I'm not enjoying to its fullness. Um, maybe I'm not enjoying being giving and generous as much as I could. And then I remember that I have the most generous being of all, uh, God and the person of Jesus with me at all times. I remember how he's blessed me and what he's given to me. I remember that everything that I have is from him. Uh, even if it's a difficult situation that he's put me in, that's a blessing from him to grow my character. Um, and, I, and I'm encouraged to be more generous than I am previously. It's an attitude of gratefulness towards God. But this is an amazing thing that God has done for us. Um, he is dependable. He is uh, best. He has given to us from on high what is trustworthy and true, his own son. He has let us know what reality is. He has made us new creations and uh, something that didn't exist previously. God has done an amazing work for us. And because he's done this amazing work for us, it should instill in us an attitude of gratefulness towards him. He goes on. He says, what, what is this sort of something new? Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, understand. And I like that word understand. It means to recognize and experience. Not just think it, but let's go experience it. Everyone should be quick to listen. It means to have rapid attention to hear and obey, particularly towards God. Um, my dogs, I can, I, I can snap and Hoover is at my hip. Um, I can make a clicking noise and he's right there. Um, I have a tone of voice for Hoover. It's kind of a goofy tone of voice, and I dog like this, and Hoover comes. I have a sassy tone of voice for our female dog. She's kind of like in your face, and come on, you know, like, and they hear those voices, and bam, they're like at my hip. They are attentive to hear and obey. And he's saying, be attentive to hear and obey what God has to say to you. Be slow to speak. Don't be hurried in your speech. 
Um, don't feel like you have to say something. It's okay to just ponder. It's okay to mull it over. It's okay to go to God and say, I'm really not sure. I need some help. He says that we should be slow to anger. That means not hurried to act on anger. For human anger does not carry out or accomplish God's fulfillment of the law or righteousness. Interesting. He says, don't, he, he didn't say you're not allowed to be angry. Uh, a lot of times within Christian circles, people use anger like a four-letter word. Well, he got angry, so, you know, there's something completely wrong with him. And we should be angry at certain things. There are things that should upset us. Uh, you look at the world around us and the way, that, uh, the way that certain groups of people are treated. That should upset you. The idea that people would be held down for uh, external things, that, that's, that's not right. The idea that we would take life from innocence, that's not right. Those things should upset us. The idea that greed would be the operating mode of a, of a society, that's not, we should, that, should, that should upset us. But the thing that can happen is we can fly off the handle and react in anger without it being thoughtful. One of the things that we see about God within the scriptures is God gets angry. We've gone through the book of Revelation, right? And we see his wrath. But it's not fly off the handle, you made me upset, and now I'm going to lash out anger. It's something where he looks at the situation, he understands what's going on. And the more that he sees the hurt that's going on in humanity, the more that he's angered and moved to do something about it. And so there are times where it's perfectly fine to be anger, but we don't want to ever act on our anger because it doesn't carry out God's justice. We won't always want that to be filtered through what's right and what's true. So he says in verse 21, therefore ridding or taking off and ceasing to exist, uh, get rid of it, um, all moral filth, that which is unclean or defiled. You understand that God has definition for morality. I didn't come up with it. You didn't come up with it. MTV didn't come up with it. God has definition for morality. And anything that's not his definition for morality, we should get rid of within our own lives. Now that doesn't mean that you lash out against the culture around us in speech or acts of violence. Uh, what happened in Colorado Springs yesterday is deplorable. I don't know if you saw it or not. But there was apparently a hate shooting at an LGBTQ club and that, that's not Christ-like. It's not even remotely Christ-like. And so that should have nothing to do with the people of God. But within our own lives, we say, no, thank you. Within the minds of our children, we say, no, thank you. Like, I'm pretty much done with Disney. My children are pretty much done watching Disney because the morality that is taught to them is not God's morality. Now, could we watch it and then talk about it? Absolutely. But I'm not going to allow what is wrong to rob the innocence of my children. So I protect them. We take it off. It ceases to exist in our house. Uh, the evil, he says, get all, the other thing to get rid of is, is the evil. And that is literally a depraved ill will. It is harboring hatred towards others that would show up in the way that you treat them. 
He says that we rid ourselves of that. And he says that it is prevalent, it is in surplus in our society, isn't it? Hatred and ill will, isn't it cheap and easy to come by? He says, Christian, get rid of it. You have hatred towards a group of people, get rid of it. Can you call out what's wrong? You certainly can. Do you have hatred towards a group of people? Get rid of it. And then he says, instead, humbly receive, that means considerately accept, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Humbly receive, considerately accept. God, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to turn off my ears to the noise of this world, and I'm going to slow down and just listen to you. And I want to thoughtfully accept the inborn and established message that you have given to me. Your word has transformed my heart. Your love has made me a new creation. Your forgiveness has made me your child. I'm going to slow down and listen to what you have to say to me, God. God, I'm really, I'm really struggling with some of the things that are happening in my workplace. I'm really struggling with some of the things that are happening in my family. I'm really struggling with some of the things that I see on the television. God, I, I'm really weighing these things, and they're, 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 they're kind of keeping me down, or maybe worse, they're keeping me up at night. I want to filter those things through what you've revealed to be true. It's been a while since I read a gospel. I'm having a hard time remembering the words of Jesus. I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to spend time reading a gospel because I want the words of Jesus at the forefront of my mind. And if I do this, it says that is able, powerfully capable to save or deliver my soul, the immaterial part of who I am, my mind, my emotions, and my will. If I'm willing to considerately accept, receive the word that God has implanted in me and the message of his truth found in the person of Jesus, that is powerfully able to deliver my mind the way that I think. It's powerfully able to deliver the way that I'm processing my emotions. I can have a holy mind. I could have holy sadness in my heart. I could have holy anger towards a situation. I could have righteous thinking and emotions. And then from my righteous thinking and emotions, I, I, it's not mine, it's his. From his righteous thinking and emotions in me, I could make good choices. My will would be conformed to what he says is best. He says, if we're willing to slow down and be the new creation that God has made us, delivered and cleansed by the message of Jesus, you will think well, you will be emotionally healthy, and you will be a great decision maker blessing the people around you. Now James knows that many of us have heard that message before. But it hasn't quite made it into our lives. And so in verse 22, he says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That word be, it's to keep on becoming. It has the idea within it that I have not arrived, and I never will. I'm gonna have to keep on becoming 
a doer of the word. And that word doer, it's a maker or an inventor. It's like I'm, I'm committing myself to the process of saying, Jesus, day in and day out, minute by minute, I want you to invent and make me like you. I want you to make me like you in my marriage. I want you to make me like you in parenting. I want you to do that for me in my workplace and in my community and in my interactions with those people that I find difficult to work with. Jesus, will you invent me? Will you make me like you? I want the message of truth to be me, but not me him through me. I want to be God's conduit. I want him to use me to be the message of truth to the people around me. So be doers of the word, not hearers or pupils only, deceiving yourselves. That word deceiving means to impose misleading beliefs. Uh, there are basically two contending misleading beliefs throughout all of church history. One of them is that we work hard and live up to religious standards in order to make God happy. This is one of the beliefs that we impose on ourselves and so do churches and different things. The idea is this. There's something fundamentally wrong with you and I, and in order to make God happy, we'll come up with a list of rules, we'll keep the list of rules, the list of rules will better us, and God will be happy with us. It's known as legalism. It doesn't work. It actually brings death. When we put ourselves under a system of rules and regulations, we find that we can't attain to them, and they actually drag us into a place where we feel beat up and like we're dying. The other side of the, the wrong beliefs that we would impose on ourselves is the idea that I'm not going to disregard the rule system and whatever impulse I have that would lead me to feel good, I'm going to do that. That's the prevalent one in our society, right? That you do you and whatever feels good in the moment, go for it. And if somebody tells you that what you feel about yourself or what you want to make yourself into, if they tell you that that's maybe not the best idea, they're probably a bigot and you should shun them, right? Uh, and so we're tolerantly in intolerant. Those are the two misleading belief systems that most people would oppose on themselves. Follow the religious rules, do whatever your flesh is feeling. Neither of them are freedom. He's going to tell us what freedom is here in just a second. He says, because if anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. It means to consider or contemplate. You actually stop and look in the mirror. Like most guys, we wake up in the morning, we kind of go like this and we walk away. There's not a lot of contemplation. We might have to talk to our wives about what this contemplation in the mirror is. Um, they, they take time and they're looking at every little detail and I'm like, I guess I have some gray hair. Oh man, I should probably shave. Wow, that's a unibrow. Um, I should do something about that. Um, whereas this is like slow thoughtful contemplation about who we are. He says, someone does that and they look at themselves, they go away and they immediately forget, neglect or overlook what kind or quality of person he was. He's saying, what Christ has told us that when we look in the mirror, what the scriptures tell us what we should see in the mirror is not our flaws and failures, but we should see the righteousness of Christ placed onto us. We shouldn't see our old darkness and ways of life that don't match who Jesus is. We should see the new creation that we are. Our identity and who we believe ourselves to be is wrapped up in Jesus, not our own performance. 
And he's saying, see yourself that way. That's the quality of person that you are as a Christian. The quality of person that you are is the quality of Jesus because he has given it to you. And then what happens is you walk away and you forget and you start living like the old man in Adam instead of like the new creation in Christ. And so if you don't want to do that, look at what he says in verse 25. But the one who looks intently, that means to bend down and look, it's almost as though you'd have to kneel into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not forgetful, a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Uh, he's saying if you will intently look, if you'll bend down, if you'll kneel before the perfect law of freedom. What's that? Galatians chapter five actually gives an excellent definition for this. And it's what I just shared, right? Uh, that one side of our tendencies is to be law keepers, rule keepers. I'm more righteous than you because I'm better at the rules than you. The other side of who we are would be this, uh, I don't really care about the laws, but I'm, way more, I'm certainly better at having fun than you, right? Like religious naysayer and uh, the, the indulgent person. He's saying that neither of those places is freedom, but the place where we actually have freedom is that Christ died to free us from from the law and from the flesh. That he died to free us from thinking that we're a bunch of rule keepers because he fulfilled the rules for us, but he also died to keep us from living in sin because he died for our sin. And so he frees us from the chains of religiosity and he frees us from the chains of fleshly indulgence. And now we live with liberty in Christ, free to follow him. And that's actually what he says. Not just free to follow him, but he says the, the one who perseveres. Uh, John chapter 15 talks about abiding. The word for abide in the scriptures is minnow. He adds the prefix to this para minnow, to abide beside. The one who is free from the flesh, from the flesh and from the law is the one who abides beside Christ. The one who would lay down by the still waters of Jesus Christ and say, Give me life. And he says, I, it is free. Drink freely. Not someone who's forgetful, unable to recall what Christ has done for them, but this person who would lay down beside Christ, who would cease their efforts, who would give up on fleshly indulgence, but lay down beside the Savior. This person will be fortunate. They'll be blessed. Fortunate to enjoy happiness in what he does. Have you ever gotten to the end of a week you look back and you go, that was a mess up, that was a mess up, that was a mess up, that was a mess up. Would have done this differently in hindsight, probably should have gone into this with more prayer. I gotta go fix this, I gotta go fix this, I gotta go fix this. Kind of weighs on you a little bit. Not even sure if I'm gonna be able to keep this relationship going. He says, if you'll lay down beside Christ and abide beside him, cease from your striving, cease from your indulgence. You'll get to the end of next week and you'll be fortunate to enjoy happiness in what you did. You'll get to the end of your week and you'll look back at it and you'll say, I trusted the Father. I found life in the Savior. I was empowered by the Spirit. I am fortunate and blessed 
to abide beside my Savior. And get to the end of the week and you'll be content. You'll be happy. Now, others might not be happy with you. If you read about Jesus' life, just because you abide in the Father's will doesn't mean that people will love you. In fact, he promises that there will be those who don't. So don't gauge your happiness based upon whether or not people are content with you. Gauge your happiness based upon whether or not your Father would be happy with you. I have a good father. I grew up in a good household. I know many of you didn't or aren't or struggling or whatever. But I lived a period of my life in rejection of what I knew my father said to be best. And it was the most discontenting time of my life. And he's saying, if you're discontented, if you're heavy laden, if you're burdened, you're probably living for the wrong father. So be a doer of the word. What would it look like to live as a new creation? What would it look like to have uh, integrity about who I am? And he says in verse 26, and, and on your handout, I'll, I'll, I'll fix it for you in a minute. Something got left off. In verse 26, he says, If anyone thinks or supposes he is religious, living in fear or worship of God, without controlling or holding his tongue in check, his worship or religion of God is useless. It's vain, it's empty, and this person is deceiving or tricking, not just tricking, but cheating himself of life. If it doesn't make its way from your head to your heart, it's a waste. And you know it's made its way to your heart because your tongue is in check. What you say to people builds them up. It doesn't tear them down. This is a really quick indicator. Where are you at? Are you in good relationship with the Father? Well, you know, I've been kind of tearing people apart with my words. Warning, warning. Get right with them. But if you want to live like Christ, if you want to be pure and spotless, if you want to be undefiled, free from stain, then your worship of God the Father is this. To look after, to visit or watch closely orphans, the fatherless or neglected, widows, those without means for the basic needs of life. And that's what happened in the culture at that point in time. If someone was widowed, um, their needs for the basic means of life would have been in trouble unless they had a wealthy family member or somebody to take them in. He says, church, be the one that takes them in. In their distress, their pain, or their oppression, and keep guard of oneself unstained in moral accord with God from the world or this order that Revelation calls Babylon the Great, an entire world system that rejects God as ruler. And so what would it look like to live as this something new that God has made us? It would be Christ-like generosity, and this is part of the left out of your handout, to the fatherless, the neglected. It would look after the neglected. It would look after those in need, and it would care for those who are feeling pain or are oppressed. 
And so the, the message here is that we need to remember the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us as followers of Jesus. We live in that freedom and we worship God from that place. What would it look like to worship God? Well, I would speak words of life. I would exercise moral purity. I wouldn't look like the culture around me. I would exercise moral purity. I would look after those who are neglected, those without means, those who are in pain, those who are being oppressed. And I would do all this not because of some sense of religious obligation, but as a response of thankfulness to God for his blessings. And I think that's the key part we need to get a hold of. God motivates us, not with, you must. God motivates us with, look what you get to be a part of. You get to be a part of his life. We get to be a part of his family. So read the reflect and respond part with me here and we'll, we'll wrap up. The goodness of God should equip and encourage his children to bless and better the world we live in through Christ-like thinking, speech, and behavior. The benevolence of God motivates and empowers good works, especially for those who are struggling, outcast, or in need. And so I encourage each of us to take time to consider what God has done for us and who he's made us, and then based upon that time of contemplation, consider some questions. And I actually want to close our time. I've written down seven um, circumstances that might bring a, mind, a name to mind for you. So, so follow along with me here. I, I know we're getting a little long, but focus with me. The room is warm. It's cold outside. You all look a little sleepy. Um, but follow along with me with these questions. And so um, I hope this is really practical for you. If a name of an individual or an organization comes to mind when I bring up these circumstances, I want you to jot it down and then prayerfully consider what plans God might have you take or things that he might have you do to be generous with this person or organization. So, do you know a widow or a widower who lives alone and will be blessed by a meal, a visit, a gift, or an act of service? Um, do you know someone who's lost their spouse, they're alone, and a cup of tea and a conversation would mean a lot to them? Do you know someone on your block that they're, they're alone and they could use a few things done around the house? Do you know someone you could serve this way? Do you know a fatherless child who would be blessed by time and consideration from a father figure? There are a lot of single moms. Do you know someone who, <laughs> I have a good friend, he had a garage that had a wood shop within it and him and four or five other guys, they would look particularly within the youth group of their church for young men and young women who did not have a dad. And they would say, hey, would you like to be a part of a, a wood shop thing that we do on, oh, I think it was Tuesday nights, and they would get together shoulder to shoulder, they'd make something, and then they would just kind of live life with these young people and build into them. And it was a group of guys that just saw this need. Maybe it's a long-term plan like that. Maybe this isn't short-term that God's asking you. Maybe he's saying, why don't you rearrange that shop, do something different. Do you know a single parent who would be blessed by a night out? Can I babysit for you? A cleaned house. I think it costs 100 bucks or so to get a house cleaner in there. I could, I could foot that. Maybe they could use a paid bill. You have a little bit more means and you look at this single parent and you say, let me take care of your rent this month. I've got your mortgage this month. 
You got some money for Christmas gifts now. Maybe it's just a meal, a visit, or some other act of service. Are you aware of an organization that feeds, clothes, and blesses those who go without? The food truck is a really good place. Maybe, maybe you should sign up for the next food truck and, and hand out food and clothing from there. Do you know a college student who's just getting by and would be blessed by a crisp $100 bill, a tank of gas, a cup of coffee, and some wisdom or some other act of service? Remember being in college? Somebody handed you a $100 bill, you'd be like, sweet. Are you aware of a family that's having a hard time making ends meet and Christmas gifts look like they'd be hard to come by this year? Hey, there's that little sheet of paper in your bulletin. Throw their name on there. Maybe you don't know of anybody like that, but that resonates with you and you'd like to give towards it. Put a check in the offering box with it marked towards secret blessing. We'll make sure somebody gets blessed. Uh, are you aware of a local school like, say, Jackson Valley Elementary that could use boots, coats, and other materials to give, uh, to give to children who would go without otherwise? If you went into some of our schools, you would be shocked in the winter how many kids have holes in their shoes, how many kids are wearing coats that are tattered. You'd be, you'd be shocked. Maybe you want to go out and purchase some of those and put them under the tree next week. Maybe there's some other person or organization you could bless with God's kind of generosity. And here's what I want you to hear. As an act of grateful worship to Jesus. These are all things that we do as acts of grateful worship to Jesus. Remember, Jesus says, if you, you, when, you clothed me when I was naked and you visited me when I was in prison and you, you did these things. Like, when did we do that? He said, if you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And so all these things are done not as obligations, but as grateful acts of worship towards a Savior who truly deserves to be worshipped. Pray with me and we'll sing one, one last song. Father, this morning we're, we're thankful for who you are and what you do. Uh, we, we find ourselves in awe of you, hopefully on a regular basis. We thank you for your word that has both been implanted in our heart and given to us on the pages of Scripture. We think that, that your son Jesus is that word, the, the word made flesh among us so that we could understand grace and truth. Uh, no longer a relationship of law and rules, but a relationship of grace and truth. And so we find ourselves in gratitude of who you are and what you do. And we want to worship you with lifted hands and gratitude right now. And so thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God. And we're so glad that you are a part of the family.